seeking more and more to uh, be in, in harmony with what the, the, the world is. I mean, I don't think in name of uh, nations, but uh, of, of people, of communities and so on. Uh, of course, I think uh, there is only one God. We can call him what we want, but in, in the final analysis, the, the whole thing holds together because there is one central, some, the existence of our planet and, uh, and our world. We have to, way, to find a way to understand each other. And uh, I don't think it's insurmountable. Welcome to Episode 7 of A Jewish Life. I'm Rabbi Boris Dolan, Rabbi of Congregation Dorsche Met in Montreal, Quebec. And today we'll continue to hear the stories of our Jewish community, learning about our history and exploring our identity through the Jewish journeys of our diverse Jewish mosaic. In just a few months in the Jewish calendar, we'll be gathering together in our homes and our communities to celebrate the holiday of Passover. Sitting around our tables, we will retell the story of the Israelites' escape from Egypt, and we'll share stories and, of course, food, as we do our best to make this story come alive and to make it relevant for our lives today. While this time of gathering is a -a once-a-year opportunity, of course, every day is an opportunity to tell stories, to pass on lessons and memories. And from one generation to another, the stories carry with them deep truths and sometimes simple moments of life that are important simply because they are part of the journey of a person's life. In this episode of A Jewish Life, I'm excited to share my interview with Ernest Chonchol, a man of many stories and great wisdom. Ernest recently celebrated his 99th birthday with the Dorshamet community. As you will hear, Ernest began his life in Port Said, Egypt, later making his way to France, to Israel, and then finally here to Montreal. A journey of many languages, of work and family, of exploration of Jewish community and tradition, and of understanding the blessings of each moment. In his 99 years, there were more than a few experiences to hold on to, and Ernest shares his stories with a clear understanding that it is all worth sharing. Before we begin, I have to share a bit of a reflection on that birthday which Ernest celebrated here in the Dorshamet community a few months ago. In addition to a small party, with cake of course, Ernest was also given a special aliyah, an honor to the Torah, where members of the community had an opportunity to offer him a blessing. Some reflected on his quiet strength or wished him good health or expanding wisdom. With his unique and humble demeanor, Ernest refused to be the only one being blessed. One by one, He took our hand and responded to each blessing, looking us in the eyes and offering one in return. Ernest is a truly inspiring soul and a man filled with wisdom that I hope you will be introduced to today. Ernest is joined in this interview by his son, Daniel. Well, Ernest, yes. thank you for coming here today to share your story uh, with the community. We're really excited to hear your amazing journey that you've had so far. And uh, I'm honored and I thank you. Thank you. So I thought you could begin by telling us how you made it out of Egypt. And in fact, at this time of year, we're reading the story of, uh, of this exodus from Egypt in our Torah portion. 
but I know that your story is a very real story of the exodus from Egypt. So where, where does this all start? Well, it may start in 1956 when I was taken with uh, other hundreds of uh, Jews uh, to be kept as hostages while Gamal uh, Abdel Nasser was nationalizing the Suez Canal, uh, which has an entrance by uh, the Mediterranean and an exit at Suez in the south. Uh, I was married at the time and we lived in Port Said. Uh, one night uh, they knocked at the door and uh, said, come. And downstairs was uh, an autobus. A, a, a bus. A bus yeah. with uh, uh, some more Jews. Uh, they left and went to Cairo with uh, some stops on the, on the, on the route. Uh, in one village in particular, uh, when we stopped, people gathered around the bus and shouted, spies, spies. Hmm. And uh, the officer who was near the driver said, uh, carry on, don't stay here. So in Cairo, we were placed with other uh, dozens of Jews from Cairo, Alexandria, Porsaid, in uh, in a Jewish uh, schoolroom uh, with beds in those uh, rooms. Uh, <clears throat> well, we stayed there. Uh, I can't remember the exact number of days, but uh, we were fed and we were allowed. It was Hanukkah time to light. Uh, the not Hanukkah, but uh, various uh, small, uh, um, I don't know how to call them, uh, light on a floater and recite uh, the prayers of Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. And uh, during uh, the one hour uh, intermission, uh, we were all allowed to go downstairs uh, in the courtyard and uh, mingle and exchange ideas. Uh, when we came back, we grabbed, we uh, stepped on the, uh, well, the steps anyway, and this is where I learned to chant uh, the Hanukkah uh, hymn, which, as you know, is... Uh, Mao's Tsuri Shuati. It was the first time, and I, I will never forget it. Now, in the meantime, uh, the Red Cross was uh, looking for my wife, and they found her in Marseille. While I was taken to Cairo, uh, there was a French boat in port called La Marseillaise, the captain said to the Jews, come, come aboard, we'll take you as refugees 
in France, uh, otherwise uh, you will be harmed. Mm-hmm. So she was taken to Marseille and waited there until uh, the Red Cross finally traced her and uh, they told me and uh, they told uh, my wife that I was in Cairo. At that point, uh, the Red Cross uh, did all the necessary to get me papers and amongst them uh, an exit visa with no return. When I arrived in, uh, in Marseille, we decided to go to Paris where uh, I had an aunt, but uh, uh, after discussing with uh, my wife, we agreed that uh, we should not stay in France, but go to Israel. They told us, wait a minute, you better go to Fontainebleau, we have an old pan, and you have to learn some Hebrew there. And this is uh, how I uh, learned furthermore to, uh, reading and writing of uh, Hebrew. The, eventually the Jewish agency arranged for our departure to Israel. Uh, and when we arrived, uh, I was, uh, needless to say, my wife stayed in France. Mm-hmm. No, 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 I'm sorry. At that point, uh, my wife did come to Israel with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, although separately, we both were there. We stayed uh, in Israel, if I remember well, two and a half years, uh, during which we uh, increased our knowledge of uh, Hebrew to be able to find a job, uh, which um, my wife was the first one to uh, find and uh, acquire and so on. So when, when did you leave Egypt? How old were you? You were married and already had a family then, or were you a child? I have been about 35 years old. 35 years old, okay. Yes. So eventually uh, we arrived in Israel and we found, uh, my wife found a job before me mm-hmm. as a secretary. Uh, she had been my secretary in Port in a steamship agency. And uh, this served her with her experience and knowledge to find this job. So <laughs> I myself uh, did find the job eventually with the Zim Navigation Company, the uh, agent, which was the this? Jewish agency yeah. for uh, steamship uh, navigation and. Uh, I was employed there and uh, assistant to a land manager, which incidentally uh, was uh, leading the <coughs> Haifa, Canada uh, travel. The, the steamship uh, Hebrew, I'm sorry, Jewish or Israeli, I should say, ship 
was among the first ones to arrive uh, and uh, go through the, um, the the canal which leads from the uh, the ocean to the uh, to the port to the port to of the, upper, uh, the port of Montreal lakes. the Great Lakes yes to, to the Great Lakes. Now, uh, we stayed in Israel, I think, about two and a half years. Uh, in the meantime, uh, most of my wife's uh, family had uh, left Egypt and gone to Canada. They uh, tried to uh, get us to Canada as soon as possible, but it took a little time formalities and whatnot, but we managed to, we eventually managed to come and uh, we settled in Montreal and uh, we, uh, in the meantime, lodged uh, in uh, a German, German center of uh, uh, German religious uh, mm -hmm. we people. Uh, I'm not sure this is very relevant, but uh, I will go back to our marriage, and uh, <laughs> this is where uh, Odette lost the first uh, baby because the doctor was not able to turn it properly. As you, as you may know, Israel, they, they were very enthusiastic about having children and settling. So she got pregnant again, and at that time, uh, we received one more entry visa in, in Israel. And uh, after two and a half years, we left Israel with Odette, uh, seven months uh, pregnant. So uh, on arrival in Montreal, Daniel was born there. Okay. Uh, we, we settled in town Montreal and uh, we found jobs, uh, both Odette and myself. And one of the first things uh, is I sent for my mother who was staying in Paris. She joined us and she lived with us for 20 years. It was good for her, it was good for us. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So before we get to your time in Montreal, I'd like to go back to your childhood in Egypt. So you said that you left uh, around 35 years old. So what was your childhood like in Egypt? Were you, uh, did you feel as a Jew that you uh, were separate than everyone else? Was it an enjoyable childhood? What were some of the, the blessings and the challenges? Well, uh, we had in Port Said uh, a Jewish uh, circle where uh, youth uh, gathered and uh, we had several activities. We had visits from soldiers uh, from Israel Shlichim, they called them, I think. And uh, they encouraged us in learning Hebrew in 
preparation for an eventual aliyah to Israel. I remember that uh, we had the possibility of uh, having this uh, Jewish uh, youth circle where uh, some shlichim from Israel came to visit us and encourage us. Uh, I don't remember clearly how it came that uh, uh, they invited me to visit Israel, which I did for two weeks, and got to know the the pioneer uh, pioneers associations Halutzim. in Israel. So your childhood in Egypt, uh, you did you go to a a school with uh, with uh, non-Jews and Jews together? What were the things that you enjoyed doing as a child? What were some of the no, challenges? You had? Uh, I went to what was called the Lycée Francais. Okay. Uh, there was a strong French uh, influence uh, by France because they were the ones who under uh, um, Ferdinand de Lesseps uh, thought of and executed the opening of a canal joining uh, the Mediterranean with the Red Sea. At the other end, uh, one end was Said where we lived, the other end was Suez. Mm -hmm. And there was a 24-hour traffic of ships. And I worked, and my wife also worked, she was my secretary, incidentally, in a steamship uh, agency. Yes, yes. yes. And I, I believe that uh, just to go uh, go back to um, the, the school you went to and the French influence, I, I think that uh, my mother as well went to uh, school in French, if I remember correctly. Um, maman aussi, uh, je crois qu'elle elle aussi, elle a fait ses études en français. Yes, well, we were both uh, educated in French schools but uh, didn't have much of a Jewish education uh, before the events. Needless to say, when we started to learn Hebrew and uh, become more uh, knowledgeable uh, as to uh, the Jewish life, we made progress and uh, we were happy to be able to become Jews. Yes. Now, in, as a child in Egypt, were there special traditions you had for Jewish holidays, for celebrations as a community, or was this something that was well, sort of I secondary did, at that point? I did not go to a, a, a Jewish school in Port Said. There was very little. But my father, who had lived in Turkey, uh, was a traditionalist, and uh, we did uh, observe, uh, say, for example, Pesach. Okay, we, we ate matzos, and my father recited the prayers. Uh, we did have uh, two temples in Poseid, uh, to which I think I went uh, once a year, say at uh, at Pesach or uh, Rosh Hashanah, for example, 
my father was a traditionalist. Uh, uh, he was not uh, very, very strict about uh, Judaism, but uh, he uh, was in a foundation uh, called Benebrit, and uh, he was active thereon. And uh, I can't remember, he had a title. Uh, I will remember it further on. So uh, overall, though, your, your childhood up, you know, up until a point in, in Egypt was somewhat was peaceful, or this was, was this a challenging time to be uh, in Egypt in general, and especially as a Jew? What, was your childhood a peaceful experience in Egypt, or were, did you know that you were eventually going to leave? You are thinking of my activities as a Jew in Egypt? Or just as a child. What, what did I, you do as a child, child, and did you live, did you live a peaceful, peaceful but, life as a child? It was a peaceful time, yes. Uh, my father was uh, the mentor of a Benebrit Lodge, which helped poor Jews. We had, we were allowed to have a youth circle, which, uh, to which adhered uh, many of the Jews, uh, young uh, Jews, um, uh, boys and girls. So what did you do at these youth circles? We, we observed the main feasts and uh, we had a reunion where we discussed uh, the situation in the Middle East uh, between uh, Jews and Arabs. And as I said, I was invited once by the Shehem to visit the uh, um, the, the pioneers, the, the pioneer um, farms. Uh, Halutz, Halutzim. The Halutzim. The Halutzim. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it marked me uh, very strongly. It was about age of 20 to 25 when I was, uh, when I made these visits to the Halutim. There was no, uh, I mean, uh, difficulty for me in obtaining papers to make the trip to Israel and return. I understand. So I don't know, Daniel. Is there anything else that he's told you about his childhood that, that you might remember? I I think um, I mean that that is those are the main uh, points. Um, I think the other thing that uh, my dad has told me is that uh, in those days Egypt was a very cosmopolitan, uh, very cosmopolitan country, or the area where they lived was quite cosmopolitan, and I think he uh, felt the benefit of being of the French influence, the English influence. Um, it was it was a fairly worldly uh, place to be at that point. And I think that uh, I Are think that talking of, mama? Uh, of, of uh, the in general, in general, when you were there, that c'était quand même à cette époque-là plutôt cosmopolite avec des gens de plusieurs pays, plusieurs nationalités, et que ça faisait partie de la, de la richesse 
de l'endroit à cette époque-là. Oui. It was very cosmopolitan and uh, we had in particular in Porsaid a large uh, Italian and another Greek presence uh, which uh, made us familiar with uh, these two important communities who lived in Egypt. I see. So it was... Uh It, it, so it was, in some sense, a, a peaceful childhood and, until a certain point when, uh, when you felt that you had to leave Egypt. You were married and you, you were thinking of beginning a family when you eventually made it to Montreal. So how, how well, old were you when we you made tried to, yes. yes, we were married, as I mentioned, uh, in the steamship agency uh, in which I worked. My wife also worked and uh, was, at one point, my secretary. Okay. And so you, what, how old were you when you made it to Montreal? Do you remember? When I did. When you first arrived into Montreal, how old were you? Uh, Papa, you would have been about uh, 40 years old when you and mom uh, came to Canada. Okay. So you were. You would have been uh, roughly 40 years old, my calculation. Yes. Okay, so you were 40, and when you arrived, so Daniel was born, so right away you, you began uh, creating your family. What, yes. were, what were your first impressions of, of Canada, of Quebec, of Montreal? Obviously, very different than uh, Egypt, quite different than, than Israel. And how was this time for you? Was it easy to settle in? I think I, I found the work uh, without difficulty, <coughs> but uh, the import-export uh, uh, com company for which I worked, I, uh, after five years, uh, they had a German Jew uh, as a director. There. And uh, one Friday he said, you don't come back on Monday. So I was left, uh, I mean, in a difficult situation, but I managed to find uh, another type of work. And uh, incidentally, I joined uh, the school, uh, city, city school. Oui, uh, à l'époque, c'était Loyola. Uh, Loyola College. I went there after work for 10 years, and finally I got a Bachelor of Commerce uh, to catch up uh, on my education, which uh, was not very advanced in Egypt. It enabled me to get a better job. 10 years work, going to school at night mm. to finish uh, my, my, uh, my program of uh, Bachelor of Commerce. So that's a lot of work, and of course with... That with was a lot of work. Yes. Uh, of course, uh, on the other hand, uh, at home uh, there was Daniel yes. and uh, my mother and my wife. So you had a very busy life at that time. A very uh, active uh, life. Uh, that, uh, I, I, I said to myself, 
I didn't have a proper education in, in Egypt, but I will try to catch up while I'm in Canada. Yes. And yes. indeed, I caught up uh, learning those 10 years at night. So you studied hard, you had a family at home. Uh, of course, this was most likely a much safer environment for you to live in than, than Egypt and, uh, and in many ways than, than Israel at that point. So was this an easy place to get used to, being in Montreal? There's, of course, the snow, there's the different culture, the language. And was there an opportunity to enjoy the city now that you finally were living in a more peaceful environment? It's not so difficult. And uh, there was part of my wife's family, which was established there uh, before us, and they helped us uh, make... uh, the necessary uh, changes to our life to get to participate in Canadian life. Okay. And, of course, many things are different about being in Canada. Uh, As we know from what's outside right now, the winters are very challenging. There's a lot of snow. Do you remember your first winter in in Montreal? I'm sure very different than anything you'd ever experienced. When you first saw piles and piles of snow. It was difficult, yes. At the very beginning, there was, uh, at night, uh, ice formed on the trees. And that was the first time in my life I was uh, witnessing uh, something different uh, from the Middle East. So what did you think when you saw that? Well, it was very beautiful, but uh, it took a lot of adjustments to our way of life. And uh, we, we managed uh, by instinct, you know. Well, we knew French and we knew English. We adapted. You adapted. We, we did adapt because uh, of our formation, our life, we have lived in a cosmopolitan city in... Uh, Poseid, with a large uh, Italian, Greek, uh, French, and English presence. So we were well, well prepared mm-hmm. to uh, adapt to the new life. So Montreal felt like a familiar We lived in town of Montreal uh, from the very beginning. Yes, okay. So it sounds like uh, it was not as difficult as it could have been to get to acclimate yourself to being in Montreal. Maybe the snow and the ice was a bit yes, challenging at first. Yes, but, but we adapted. You adapted. We adapted, yes. So, and, and Daniel, so you were born right when they, they got here. Daniel was born in town of Montreal, and uh, he went to school, excellent uh, pupil, and uh, later he went to the uh, University of Montreal. Or, uh, McGill. Huh? To McGill. Uh, yes. Well, f- first of French... Uh, yes, uh, first for CGEP. There was a French... Uh, CGEP, CGEP uh, was college, French, college, but then he went to... Uh, to McGill. And then, so in, in your family growing up, was, uh, was French the primary language? And uh, what was... Maybe, Daniel, you could speak to this. What was your, your family experience growing up as the first of the generation to be born here in, uh, in, in Canada? Yes, French was the... Uh, je vais répondre. Uh, French was the first language in our home. And um, 
I think my parents felt it was very important in order to, as my father says, adapt to uh, Canadian and Quebec society, that their son learn French. So the first language uh, I spoke in the home was French. They also felt that having a knowledge of English was important to our adaptation. And so I went to English schools uh, mm. in, in kindergarten and grade school and high school. I went to English schools while speaking uh, French at home. So again, as, as it had been in Egypt, the, the both languages were an influence, both uh, French and English. French was being spoken in the home, and uh, at the same time I was learning English uh, going to school. I see. So, and here you are in, in Montreal. Uh, you, you had mentioned that in Egypt you were part of some Jewish youth groups, and, and Judaism was a, a part of your life, but not necessarily um, the, the core part. Obviously, in Israel, uh, speaking Hebrew, learning, learning Hebrew, uh, being immersed in that Judaism every day was an entirely different experience. And here you are in this very cosmopolitan, diverse city, how did you start to explore your Judaism in a new way? And obviously, well, well, well and you, now you're here, so something must have happened. So, and you're in Montreal. Um, eventually, you joined the synagogue. You, you clearly raised your kids. as You raised Daniel as a proud Jew, and you um, somehow connected with Judaism in a new way. So what, what, was your, what were the steps that you took to start exploring your Jewish identity now that you were in, in Montreal? Well, one thing, for example, I was listening to uh, BBC, uh, not BBC, CBC, CBC. Uh, program called Ideas. Mm. And uh, in one of them, uh, they interviewed somebody who spoke about a book uh, by uh, Mordechai Kaplan. Okay, we all know who he is. Yes, yes. the founder of the Reconstructionist movement. Yes, so I bought the book, the book, and I read it, and I was impressed. And I uh, tried to find a way to join this movement. Now. Really? Okay. Yes. So this this was uh, this was when? How how old were you then when this happened? This was uh, probably about. He, my dad has been, or we have been members probably for about 30 years now. Okay. So we're probably talking about uh, ni around 1988 or the late 1980s. It's interesting, I think, that um, it's really, uh, Papa, uh, it's later on in your life that um, you made the discovery of Kaplan and Reconstructionist Judaism, you, you were already, I think, perhaps about 65 years old at the time. It was something that happened, qui est arrivé sur le tard dans ta vie. Yes. Yes. And what was, it, what was it about Mordechai Kaplan and Reconstructionist Judaism that you connected with? I mean, in this city, it's, it's a, it was only a few liberal synagogues. So for someone to connect so it quickly it with it. It was the first time that I was looking at the liberal side of our Judaism. For example, uh, well, I, jo I joined the 
the reconstructionist movement in uh, our synagogue, the Dorshemet, uh, where uh, men and women have an equal role, and uh, there were even uh, women rabbis. So this was important to this you, that men and women were treated new, as equals? A new opening for me, yes. and it attracted me. Yes. I didn't want to go to a traditional synagogue, and I applied and joined the Dorshemet synagogue, uh, I think more than 25 years ago. Yes, and, and you've been coming ever since. This is a very different community than other communities in the city. And of course, uh, coming from Egypt, the Jewish community was Sephardic, a, a very different liturgy, prayers, uh, in some ways a very different experience entirely. So what, what are your favorite... I, I had yes. to adopt a, a, a totally different uh, viewpoint, and uh, I was happy to do that. You were happy to. So what, what were some of the, beyond the fact that men and women were treated as equals, what do you remember as some of the, the other appealing aspects of this community? Did you like the music, the conversation, the, 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 the creativity? What was it that, that felt so attractive? Well, I learned, uh, I, I, I looked closer at uh, religious uh, aspects. Uh, say, for example, when I uh, joined, we had a morning session and uh, Rabbi Ron Eigen, uh, where uh, we met from 9 to 10 and uh, spoke about the books we had read and slowly, slowly familiarizing me with the, uh, this movement of which I had not heard before in Egypt. Yes. So it opened a new... Uh, ways to look at religion from a different point of view, but at the same time attracting me. I, I was interested, an example, when uh, I left Israel, I, I definitely wanted to know about religion more, and I went and uh, bought a series of ten books, small books, on the Torah, with uh, comments in modern Hebrew, and I brought them with me to Montreal. Uh, I tried to uh, give them to the Jewish library, but we had, they had already ma many books. I may have given them to my own synagogue, Joshemet. And since then, uh, I have uh, been going regularly and learning, learning from uh, my uh, one-hour session before prayer. Yes. So you you started in your 60s rediscovering your Judaism. It's a, 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 a clear truth that it's never too late yes. to... Exploring to, to, to explore and to learn. Yes, uh, the, the the title itself, Dorshemet. Uh, Seekers of truth. 
seeking seeking truth yes truth seeking truth and i have kept this way of looking at religion since then it's a beautiful philosophy to have so. it's a beautiful philosophy yes and uh, it uh, it's not strictly uh, uh, supernatural i i think uh, one of the titles i had seen uh, uh, it was uh, Judaism without supernaturalism. Yes. So with its uh, idea of theology, as Kaplan wrote about, that God is not necessarily a supernatural being, but can be something beyond that. For many people, something that's much more easy to make sense of in, in, our, in yes, our modern world. Yes, and uh, it's close enough to our religion. Do you, do you consider yourself someone who believes in God, or is is part of why you connected so much with the Reconstructionist movement that you you were you wanted to look beyond necessarily a supernatural God? Well, I am trying to keep God in the picture. Okay. But at the same time, liberalizing our religion. Yes, yeah, so being open to to be open uh, to exploring and other ways of understanding Jewish yes, life. Yes, this is what I have been trying to do. Yes, and so Daniel, I know you had a bar mitzvah here, correct? Or no, I you didn't. didn't. I you didn't. didn't. The my bar mitzvah was in another synagogue. Oh, it was okay. Because uh, and and this is a synagogue um, that was not uh, liberal and not reconstructionist zikron kedoshim papa le rabbin me demande où j'ai eu ma bar mitzvah et je lui explique c'était pas ici um, my bar mitzvah was in another synagogue and i think that although my father my parents were members of that synagogue it did not uh, satisfy them in terms of the types type of Judaism, particularly my father, did not satisfy him in terms of the Judaism he was looking for, and eventually Dor Shemet, he found, was more in line with what he was looking for. I see. So yes. you had a bar mitzvah yes. before yes. they joined. Yes. Incidentally, yes. Uh, we were influenced by the financial aspect of this bar mitzvah, and we were newcomers who didn't have much money, and we chose a synagogue where it would be um, more uh, cheaper to have the bar mitzvah made. I understand, and that's uh, that's a very good reason too, especially for new immigrants. Yeah. So you have been, as you mentioned, a regular in our community. Uh, every morning, almost always, right on time. You're you're here at services, sitting in the front row with uh, all the friends that you have made. And we were very honored to celebrate with you just a few weeks ago your 99th birthday. Uh, and this was uh, a rare occasion for the whole community um, to see, see you celebrate with us and to, uh, to be with you during this momentous year. We invited you up for an aliyah and, uh, and you had a little party afterwards. And one of the things that I and so many people noticed is just how deeply, deeply humble you are how whenever, whenever we tried to give you a blessing on that day, you blessed us right, right back. So what, what is it that's kept you, kept you strong and so humble and so, uh, so wise for, for all of these years, 99 years? Well, it's probably in my character, in my uh, 
uh, how shall I say, I, I was born like this. And uh, I, I'm trying to define the thing. Well, maybe I can simplify the question. As someone who is now 99 years old, what wisdom can you offer us as younger folk to, well, to, one, to one, live one, our lives to the one fullest? One view uh, of this 99 years old is, and he told me, when my brother died, uh, they sold uh, his house and... Uh, there was, I was the only uh, heir to him. His wife had died and uh, he had no children. But uh, what I decided when I received all this money, he said uh, he did not contribute to the Jewish life. I'm going to do it in memory of him. And so I went and uh, started looking at uh, 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 at uh, charities, charities, Jewish charities, yes. And I remember making thirty or thirty-five checks a year mm. to all these uh, institutions, and I did this for a good number of years. So always giving back. And so my niece in New York says, uh, this is called being a tzaddik. Definitely. And if you have been a tzaddik, then you're rewarded by having a longer life. This is what she tells me. Well, you must have been some, some tzaddik to, to make it to 99. You've done a lot of good work. Yes. I'm grateful, and every morning I do thank uh, God. Although, to be honest, I said, uh, it's, it's not so easy. Call me, take me back, my God. Mm. Uh, I know it's almost uh, a sin to, to do that. But it was a, a, a natural reaction, I mean, my carnal reaction to my living longer. I have tried to uh, be consistent and uh, maintain uh, my my behavior, my way of life, and so on. Mm. And this is how I am still alive. And we are all so happy that you're here. And now, I, you've lived 99 years. You've made a journey so far from Egypt to Israel to France to Canada, and you've been through so many experiences, many experiences of joy, some of challenge, and now we're in a world that is filled with many new challenges, which uh, are quite different than what you experienced both as a child and you know even as a, an adult here in Montreal. The world is filled with all too much pain and suffering. What do you hope uh, that this world will bring in the next few years, and, and what, what is your advice for us to, to work to make a, a better world? Yes, helping myself, but also helping others. Very important. Seeking more and more to uh, be in, in harmony with what the, the, the world is. I mean, 
I don't think in name of uh, nations, but uh, of of people, of communities, and so on. Uh, of course, I think uh, there is only one God. We can call him what we want, but in, in the final analysis, the, the whole thing holds together because there is one central, some the existence of our planet and uh, and our world. Hmm. So in some ways, you're saying that what we have to remember is that we're all connected in a very important way, whether that's through yes. God, godliness, or just some inherent connection between yes. all humanity. Yes. And I do think, unfortunately, that is part of what uh, we encounter today, too much separation between uh, different different kinds of people in politics and in cultures and religions and uh, remembering well, how we're all connected is, is very important. We have to, way, to find a way to understand each other. And uh, I don't think it's insurmountable. Yes, so it's, it's hard work, but we, we can do it. It's hard work, it's very hard work, it's everyday work. And uh, I'm trying to live within this perimeter, whatever you want to call it. So you, have, you are hopeful about the future. You, you think things will, things will be okay. Eventually, yes. they, will, they will see uh, the, the truth and the good. Well, I definitely hope that will come true. Yes, I've, I've, I firmly believe that uh, it's in the human species to arrive at this stage yes. of comprehension. Well, may we reach that point soon. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about your, your story, your, your hopes for the future, anything else? Uh, not offend. Not offend. Not offend. Okay. Daniel, anything else? I, I really think my father stated everything uh, beautifully and articulately, and I could not say it any better than <laughs> he has said it. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Ernest and Daniel, for... I thank you for the opportunity. Yes, thank you for sharing your story, and it truly is inspiring to hear the long journey that you've been on and how hopeful you still are today. Thank you again. My pleasure, my honor. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rabbi. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of A Jewish Life. There are so many stories out there, so many different ways of connecting with Jewish life and tradition, and these stories come from you. As usual, if you're interested in sharing your story on our podcast, or if you have comments on the show, you can always contact me at boris at ajewishlife.org, or find me on our website, ajewishlife.org, or on Facebook at A Jewish Life. Your story, your journey, is part of our story, and I look forward to getting to know you on a Jewish life.